are all experts on refereeing football games, whether that's how much added time should be applied, whether or not it was a free kick, when the red card should be shown and of course, to award a penalty kick or not. But what's it like when you're the man in the middle who needs to make these split decisions? Is it as easy as we all think? For years we've been shouting, get involved referee, and finally we have two officials who are more than happy to get involved. The Get Involved Referee Podcast gives us armchair referees the opportunity to put our emotions to one side and hear the more logical side of the game from our experts. But I have a funny feeling that our listeners will not always like what you guys have to say. If you do disagree or on a very rare occasion agree with what the refs say, then please let us know your thoughts on the usual social media channels, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Get Involved Referee. Hello and welcome to the Get Involved Referee Podcast with me, your host, David McDonald. Joining me in the 1010 Podcast Studios are our two regular experts, former Grade 1 official Steve Conroy and the most liked amateur referee in the West of Scotland, Doogie Gunning. <laughs> Gentlemen, how are you? Very well, thank you. you. What with that? I heard today, Doogie, honestly, somebody said today that Doogie's the most respected guy in amateur circuit. All us players love him. That Good came God. from a genuine player. I don't know how much you paid them, but, you know, that's what you said to me. There goes the credibility of the podcast straight away. <laughs> to be fair, we were both looking round when you said it all, but I spat my water over the mic. Listen, we're going to kick off tonight, Doogie. You highlighted something when you came in here. Now, this is south of the border. Huddersfield versus Stoke? Uh, I was Huddersfield, yeah, that's right. Wow, if you've not seen it, go online. Sky Sports Football have a video clip there. You two guys have had the chance to see the reckless tackle, the referee's position. What's your thoughts on that? I think reckless would be generous, in my opinion. That would suggest it was a yellow card defence, but for me it was easily serious foul play from the Huddersfield player. He comes in at pace, he's straight leg, he's stretching, I don't think he's in control, there's no regard for the safety of his opponent. And if his weight is behind his foot as he makes contact with the opposition player, it's genuinely one of those fouls that could have been a leg-breaking challenge. Um, And I'm stunned, having seen where the referee's position is, that it wasn't um, a straight red card. Steve... How did you see that? Pretty much the same, although I'm trying to look for, for mitigation and the only thing... Typical and I, and referee. I know, <laughs> I know. And I know I'm clutching at straws here. The only thing that I could say in mitigation is that when you, you look at where the referee's position was and absolutely he was looking right in on it, his unobstructed view, the only thing that I could say is that he was looking at the back, and I forget which way around it was, the Stoke player, mm-hmm. um, the back of the Stoke player, so maybe he didn't see the straight leg, maybe you didn't see um, the, the contact with the um, with the knee. And I realised that I'm clutching at straws. I th- that was an absolutely shocking tackle. With an incident like that, what's the process for the referee afterwards? Does he have to explain himself to the relevant authorities about that decision made? Or do the relevant authorities deem it what should have been a red card? And do you have what, that conversation with him? I, I don't know what happens down there, but up here you'll, you'll have a conversation with the observer after the game and they should at that point highlight any incidents that they want to take issue with uh, and they will make contact with you during the week and they'll ask for your opinion on that incident. I'll put myself in the the, the place of the referee and say that I didn't see it properly because I was looking at the back of uh, the back of the guy's leg and it's up to the observer whether he takes my point of view or not but again I'm clutching at straw so I would fully expect the observer in that occasion to say, well, no, you were completely wrong. Uh, have have a look at it. You can change your mind uh, if, if you want. But I'm telling you that that was, and I'm, I agree with you, it's not reckless, it's excessive force, it's brutality, whatever the word you mm-hmm. use these days. Straight red card. And I would fully expect the observer to be saying, no, you're, you're utterly wrong in that one. As, as referees, we're not 
trained to factor in the intent of players. We can't speak to the mind of someone as he goes in to make a challenge, you know, regardless of the facial expression that he might be making or what. So not that this really matters. I don't think he meant the challenge to be as severe as it possibly was. I don't believe that the player was going in with the intent to harm these opposition player. But the other thing to consider is that that doesn't form part of the referee's consideration either. He's got to be aware of what's on the park, who's on the park, where the people might be coming from and how he's making an attempt to play and win that ball. And it's the pace that he comes in at. It's the fact that the leg is straight. It, it makes it very difficult for any player to safely challenge for that ball. And he's gone in without any regard for the safety of any opposition player who might have been challenging for it. So whether he's meant or not, the pace he's come in with, the height of his leg, the, the studs being shown, it ticks all of the boxes for me for a red card defence. Jens, I'm going to take you back to the 20th November, Tannadice Park, where Dundee United played host to Aberdeen, which turned out to be a fire encounter for all the wrong reasons. Uh, you'll remember there was a Dundee United fan who pushed Don's midfielder Ojo after the player jumped the advertising boards due to his momentum, pushed him pretty heavily in the chest. Well, today that fan was prosecuted for his part and received 180 hours of unpaid work. Personally, I think he should be cleaning Ojo's boots the next three months. Uh, that'd be good enough punishment for him. But after the incident, Bobby Madden uh, gave Ojo a second yellow card of the match, which led to him being sent off for his clearly a minor part in the incident there. We all know Aberdeen chairman Dave Cormack was in constant dialogue with the SFA, but he was told that there was no mechanism to appeal the second yellow card. Is that fair? You can understand a fan has pushed him when he shouldn't have done. You know, the players run at him through momentum, jumping over the advertising boards. Uh, th- he's received a second yellow card. I think it's difficult because as referees, we're looking at it without the emotive lens that players and supporters and managers probably are as well. And without a shadow of a doubt, if that happens in a game that I'm officiating, there are times when you're almost apologetic as you're administering your your what you perceive to be the decision, whether it's a second yellow card. And I guess within the laws of the game, we can't really build in a framework that would qualify or allow for a, a violent reaction. You know, I know violent sounds like a strong word, but when it boils down to it, that's what Ojo's reaction was. And if it was in the street to any one of us, somebody pushes you in that capacity, you're probably pushing them back, you know. So there's a kind of, you know, human element to it where you understand the decision, you understand the reaction of the player. But I think it's very difficult to justify his response to that and his response in isolation and, and responding to the person by pushing them back. That is a yellow card defence. And I would be almost in his ear saying, I'm, I'm really sorry, I get it. I would be pissed off as well. You know, I would want to push the guy back, but mm-hmm. I'm bound by the laws. And unfortunately, in this instance, it's a yellow card for you. And maybe the bigger decision is, what was his first yellow card for? Was it for verbal abuse? You know, did they give the referee dissent or something? And is that cost him his game, you know, further, further you know, down the match? But on this instance, on its own merits, emotional as it will be for the Aberdeen supporters and management and for Ojo himself, it was the right decision in the end. But as you say, Dougie, there's a human element in that as well. Mm-hmm. So surely the SFA should apply that you know, human element when it comes to potential discipline or not rescinding that second yellow card. Because right now the rules state that you can rescind the yellow card if it's mistaken identity or... Simulation. Simulation. But clearly in this case, have not been able to do that. I agree with some of what you've both said, but as, as Mr Wharton used to say to us all the time, what happens after the game is none of your business. Mm-hmm. So you know, whether you can appeal that or whether you can't, it's absolutely nothing to do with the ref. With the ref. Um, and uh, I, I would maintain that. It's nothing to do with me. Um, it's it's to do with the, with the lawmakers. But I, I, I agree that Bobby was really pilloried for, for that decision, whether it was his decision or it was the, the, the extended team, really doesn't matter. But when you look at the incident, I, I agree there's enough in it 
that it merits a second jello. He mm-hmm. didn't just go up to him once, he turned away and then went back to him. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if it was just, you know, the, the snap, the, the adrenaline. He thought about it and went back to him. Um, so, yeah, whether you agree with it or whether you don't, I, I, I'm okay with the fact that he, he got mm-hmm. a yell. I might not have uh, cautioned him myself for it, but you can't argue with uh, with the second jello. Do you think if he wasn't cautioned at that level, would Bobby have been asked to explain his decision as to why he didn't administer a second yellow card? Without a shadow of a doubt. So Bobby's in a position where he knows this is something that he's going to be looked at for by the supporters. Now, that, that won't matter to him at that moment in time, but he knows he's probably going to get some heat for it, given that, you know, Odo's been under some serious, you know, abuse, and, and, and that's what he's responded to. So Bobby knows that, and he's probably thinking, I wish I never had to give this, but he has to give it. And it, if, it, if, it, if he doesn't, is it, would he get hauled over the coals for that, I guess, or would he be questioned about it? He'd be questioned. I've had, it wasn't... Uh, Physical, but I, I've been on games where uh, Andy McLaren, when he was playing at Kilmarnock, was taking some of the most vile, vile abuse from from the crowd for uh, for some very obvious obvious reasons, and he, you know, reacted the same as any one of us did, and, and it was nothing to do with the player that he, that he eventually hacked down, but he hacked them. Um, and you could see it was just that his dander was up. But I can't go up and say, I, I heard what they were shouting at you, so I'm not going to caution you for that one. Mm-hmm. You, you just have to you have to deal with it. On to last weekend's games, gents. I think one potential talking point was Chris Boyd reckons that Ross County were unlucky not to see Captain Jack Baldwin sent off against Rangers for an out-of-control challenge. Now, you've seen this one, Dougie? Yeah, I've seen it in, when I, in real time. I've seen it when I was watching it. And when it happened, I thought, you know, you kind of get that in that initial reaction. That could have been, you know, a lot worse than what it was. And then on, on the replays on the TV, to me, it did look like there was boxes ticked for, you know, certainly a red card consideration. Um, mentioned it in a few of the kind of referee chats that I'm in, and there seemed to be consensus that it was, you know, some thought it was and some thought it wasn't. I think it's fair to say that this is one of those instances that there isn't a black and white answer. There's not a definitive absolute stonewall red card instant here or high tariff yellow whatever you want to call it but the way the player lunged into it I just didn't feel that there was enough control for the way that he's went in to challenge for the ball and again looked to me like he could have been endangering the safety of his opponent and for me that would potentially qualify it to be a red card um, in that moment in time now not having been able to find another clip of it despite my best effort since the game on the day and trying to refresh my memory you know I don't want to go and kind of put an opinion out of whether the referee was or wasn't at the given time. So his position might have had an obscured view, maybe enough to see the challenge and, and, and justify the foul. The ball came in from the corner. There were players between the incident and the linesman, so he wasn't in a position to support the referee either. So again, it's one of those ones that I can see why the red card wasn't given because at corners, as I'm sure you'll know as well, Stephen, mm. uh, David, that there's so much going on. There's a lot of pushing and pulling. There's a lot of jostling. People try to kind of get one over the other. You're keeping an eye on the keeper. So it's very difficult to get that crystal clear view of any one instant at a corner kick, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I felt as if there was enough there to certainly have a conversation with, with it being a red card. Steve, Wednesday night, we see Celtic take on Rangers. It's going to be a massive game. It's one point between the two clubs at the present moment in time. When a referee goes into these games, do you know the player? Do you have your eye on a player and know his character on the pitch? Or is it just you just let the game flow as it is? Or do you always have an eye, an eye on them? Both. You have to you have to let the game go because there's, there's no guarantee with any game. But if you're worth your salt at all, you'll, and certainly for, for big games like that, you'll, you'll have done your you'll have done your homework. Kalina always claims, always prided himself that he uh, memorised every player's name in a game and uh, and studied them and their yellow and reds and all that. I mean, whether you believe that or whether you don't, that's a different matter. But he he claims that he studied in depth for every game that he did. So 
obviously anybody's going to, you know, forearmed is for, uh, forewarned is forearmed. So you're, you, you know who to keep an eye on, you know the temperaments, you know who you can talk to, you know who you can't talk to, but that doesn't prejudice what you do in a game. Nope. Yeah, I mean, I guess if somebody's an aggressive player, it doesn't mean that every challenge is going to be overly aggressive. And also if someone's quite a soft player, isn't known for a challenge, it doesn't mean that they won't go in recklessly or mm-hmm. with serious foul play or mistime something and just, you know, make a bad challenge. So yeah, I'd, I, you would have to, I guess, have to go in with a kind of clear thought, you know, just aware of who the, who's on the park, but with the ability to kind of see through that. Bobby Madden takes charge for the game on Wednesday night. How's he preparing himself mentally and physically for that game? Physically, he's not doing anything different to what he does for any other game. Um, and you have, I've long since forgotten the jargon, you've got your day before, day minus one, blah, blah, blah. Um, so you're doing your proper fitness stuff, then you're just doing, keeping you going, ticking uh, ticking over. He will be uh, doing a lot of thinking, he'll be psyching himself up, he'll be getting himself prepared for the game. He won't be sleeping a lot the couple of days before it, because no matter how many games you do, it's it's the biggest one that you'll, uh, unless you get the World Cup final, it's the biggest game that we'll probably ever do. So absolutely, he'll be he'll be nervous, but hopefully he's, you know, anticipating nervous rather than anything else, but he'll certainly be doing a lot of, a lot of thinking just now. He's, he's fit as a fiddle, fiddle bobby, so he won't mm. be needing to do any any extra fitness stuff. That, that'll take care of itself. He's fitter than most of the, most of the players out there, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so he'll be fine that way. I've spoke to a lot of players in the past and done some media work with them and for some reason they come across nervous and my challenge has always been to them, how can you be so nervous? And they say it's literally because as soon as they walk on a pitch it's everything's forgotten about. Is that the same for the referees oh, when I, you take I, over a game? It's, it's, the pre-match nerves just literally disappear. The, the old cliche, the, the minute you cross the white line, but I, it, it definitely does. Um, and, and having done the, the Celtic Rangers games, um, I've, I've said to people, you, you will never, ever experience that noise again. Every hair on your, your arms is standing on end. And can't remember who it was uh, that was on the line one time when I did it. And I think it was his first one and try to be funny. I said to him, Haha, don't worry, it's only a worldwide audience of millions. Um, and you could see the colour <laughs> draining uh, draining out of them. But the minute the minute you cross that, and that it's, it's a game. And I know people don't believe you, but it's a game. See, after the first few minutes, I know at my level, when I've got a bigger, a big game, you know, two teams maybe going for a league or, you know, a cup quarterfinal, semi-final, there are natural nerves, you know, just, oh, just being a man in the middle, you know that all eyes are on you to a degree. But after the first five minutes, as long as the decisions have been kind of easy decisions, you know, and you get three or four of them out the road and they're, you know, they're easily managed, teams are accepting them. I find it's like, ah, oh, right, okay, we're in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in the zone now. Is it the same at that level? You know, first few minutes, you just get a few easy calls under your belt and then you relax into the bigger Aye. match. Then you're off and running. I've had a, a couple of guys in, uh, from, uh, in pals of mine, but a couple of them that never got... Um, beyond uh, the junior level um, and you know they were senior to me when I was coming through Who and they would swear blind that they, they didn't get nervous in front of a game even the, you know in the juniors mm-hmm. I'm the exact opposite I was nervous as hell before every single game mm-hmm. um, whether that's Celtic Rangers whether it's Cumnock Hawk and Lake doesn't matter I, I was nervous Do you think that helped you though? When you're nervous you've also got dry control then there's I'd imagine you've got to focus in the game focus on your performance do you think that helps you rather than going into it relaxed not having any nerves? Horses for courses, I suppose, but I, I, I can never tell you otherwise because that's just the, the way that I was. But it, it certainly didn't didn't hold me back, um, and I wasn't the, the sort you know the, the throwing up nervous or anything like that. But it could adversely affect you. I, I was just dead nervous. Didn't do me any harm. Did you ever have any instance that made you more nervous? Any players you were chatting to, or any sort of warm ups you were doing, and players round about you that just made you more nervous? Was there players wound you up or no, no, not the, unless you you got on really well with, with folk, they they left you to your own devices. You're, you're much more likely to have banter and have a 
relationship with the uh, the management behind the scenes. Um, and I got on, as I said before, I, there was nobody in management side that I didn't, you know, I, I disliked and I hope they didn't dislike me. But there were certainly some that you, you were really quite friendly with and pally with. Um, and you, you'd be having chat and banter with them before again. Any pre-match rituals for your two years? I mean, anything you do religiously? You're quite superstitious. <laughs> read, read the laws of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Always take the book. It's on. It's what's an app yeah, now. The old days, aye. 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 you're back in the black and white days. <laughs> get phone me, aye. Get somebody to work it for you. But no, I, I was never superstitious. No, I, the only thing I kind of do consistently before each game is if I don't know the teams well enough, I'll introduce myself. And I don't know if that's done a lot at amateur and junior level outside of myself and a few other boys that I know that do it, but it could be 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning down in Port Glasgow or 2 o'clock and I'm up in Bannockburn in the afternoon. If, if I don't feel like I know the team well enough or they've got a few new players, I'll always go in and introduce myself, give mm-hmm. them my name, ask them to talk to me through the match and make sure that there's a kind of bit of a barrier broken down. And that's just part of my own man management and me own, you know, trying to manage a game before the game starts. That's just kind of something that I do. It's not a superstition though, but it's just something that helps me kind of bring to the fact that the game's kind of close by and I'm ready to go on and manage it. But you talked about familiarity and I think, again, at an amateur level, the familiarity I find the hardest part to manage when it comes to the games because it's almost like that allows people to say a bit more than they normally would because they know you. It's like, oh, that's Doogie Doogie. You know, I've maybe played football with him or I've known him for years or whatever it might be. And it's like, I can get away with a bit more. I can say more to him than other people would because I know this guy. And there's been a few times when I've had to say, you know, don't think you can get away with saying X, Y and Z just because we're pals or because I know you or because we played football together, you know, I need you to manage that and control that because I can't say that as a bar of acceptable conduct on the part for everybody else. But that that, that works in reverse as well though, because you could say that, uh-huh. that exact thing to the, the guy that is more pally with you where you couldn't say it to a, a complete stranger, where you could say, well, wait you, that's that's enough just because I'm your pal. Mm-hmm. You don't get away with talking to me like that. But you couldn't say that to a, uh, to a complete stranger. Does that happen at that professional level though, if you're on grade one, you're on SPFL matches regularly, there'll be players who are playing at that level all the time, whereas you'll have other clubs who are bouncing up and down through the divisions, players are bought and sold through other clubs that you just won't have a familiarity with. But are there other players that try to kind of get a wee bit more from you just because they know you a little bit? There's always people that try and, you know, push the <laughs> push the barrier, but you, you just have to be, you have to be uh, alert to what's going on. You have to be uh, you have to know what they're uh, what they're up to, but I I was always I never took myself particularly seriously, so I I was always uh, I was happy to to chat and uh, to have to have banter. But as I said before, I would take it up to a certain level, and then no, that's you know, that, that, that's you. You've you've gone as far as you're getting. Um, but I never had to particularly push it um, beyond that. And it, again, you're saying the familiarity because they largely they knew what I was like, so they they knew what I would take and what I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know some of the ones you know, coming from abroad or coming up, maybe from uh, the, the lower ranks coming up to those those kind of teams, maybe took a wee while to settle into you. Are there inconsistencies then amongst the refereeing kind of fraternity as you go through the levels? And I'm sure I know there are at mine because there are some referees that just do not tolerate any sort of kind of talk back, if you want to call it that. Um, any kind of minor dissent, anyone who disagrees a little bit too aggressively, you know, straight yellow card, I'm not interested in having these kind of conversations with you, where there are other referees, and I'm probably one of them, who are a bit more lenient, that will give that guy 10 seconds to kind of blow his top, maybe he's got a decision against him, he's not happy, and then calm him down and have a conversation with him, and I find that works for me. So at all the levels, when you're talking to players, you seem to be quite lenient, you seem to allow people to have a kind of a conversation mm-hmm. with you, a dialogue to a point, but does that create um, differences in what is kind of being considered yellow card offences when it comes to dissent? If some referees aren't quite as you know, comfortable with you talking to players, inconsistency—it's it's subjective. You can't get unless you want 
to be completely robotic, and I know we're, we're accused of being robots, you, you can't set the same barrier for, for everybody else. You, you'll tolerate different people's uh, opinions at work and different people's uh, interactions with you on the street. It's the same. It's the same in a football pitch. Mm-hmm. Just because my acceptability level is set different from yours doesn't mean I'm right. Yeah, or, or I'm just right. thinking, Alfredo Morelos or Scott Brown gets a decision against them. They're not happy. Oh, fuck's sake, Steve. You'll be like, right, enough of that. Calm down. This is why you got on with the game. Another effort might go, who are you swearing at? Yellow card, dissent, you know, exact same incident, you know. So, I won. That, that's the same as, you know, you, uh, the, reckless they'll, versus. Aye, they'll, they'll learn what tackles I'll put up with. And, and I've said before, I wouldn't accept anybody swearing at me. You know, as I said, but, you know, we'll use Scott Brown again. If, if he does a tackle or whatever and I, and I give a foul against him, he shouts, oh, for fuck's sake, Steve. But, you know, I, I know him, he knows me and, and I'm okay with that. That, that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. He he does that with me, but I'm, I'm not going to pick anybody else's name, but he, he's got somebody else next week that he knows. He goes, oh, for fuck's sake, X, Y, and Z, and he's going to get himself red carded. That's up to him to know where his, where the, the barriers are. You know, we we have to be aware of what, what players are like. The players need to be aware of what, what we're like. Mm-hmm. Can a referee calm the game down and how is that applied going into the Celtic Rangers game Wednesday night? It's hostile environment. I'd imagine a potential penalty incident, potential red card, and before you know it, you've got 60,000 fans screaming at you. How do you calm a game down? Do you do, you do that? Is that something that crosses your mind during a, a very hostile game? Yeah, you, you can. And, you know, yellow cards, as we said earlier on, red card incidents, if it's a Barn door red card, sorry, it's a red card, you're away. But yellow cards, I think, are much more subjective. You've got a lot more uh, wriggle room. So you can, and, and it's it's a high risk, but any any approach to any game um, is a high risk strategy. You know, keep your cards dry and all that kind of stuff. If it works for you, you get all the all the plaudits, but if if it all gets out of control, then you get absolutely pilloried. So there's, there's absolutely no cast iron guarantee, no ga- guarantee at all um, that your approach is going to you know, have the, the desired effect, but absolutely you can do as much as you can do to, to calm it down. And whether it's when Scott Brown says, oh, for fuck's sake, Stevie, whether it's n- normally, you know, la- last week and no offence, they were playing Stenhouse Muir in the Cup, for instance, and you wouldn't think twice about it. But he does that in the Celtic Rangers game. And you can make a point, uh, say, come over, aye. You know, calm it down, you know, the, the hand gestures and all the rest of it. So, uh, aye, there's, there's strategies around it. Do you ever try, have you ever tried to slow the game down to do that? Literally for that, it's like just oh, take yeah. a hold of the ball, wander about players, just have a wee word with them, you know, actually. Kick on the whistle type yeah, thing. Just, just yeah, just calm it down. Maybe I'll go and speak to the manager, say, listen, I'm just calming the game down here. Just, you know, you calm yourself and you're, you're uh, technically absolutely. there. So. Aye, and it's whether, you know, you, somebody's going to take a quick throw in and they're, they're 10 yards further away and normally you wouldn't bother, but this time you're saying, no, come mm-hmm. back. You know, yeah, you stand in line with me for the throw-in. No, there's, there's ways of, that you kind of calming it down. Right, I think as well, for a lot of players and a lot of managers, it's more as a referee just being seen to be kind of doing the right things as well. So if they're unhappy with a challenge that a player has made, now it might not be a yellow card challenge, but if you can you know, hear that they're getting annoyed with it or if they're a little bit upset about it, it's not a bad idea to sometimes pull the player over and say, look, be a bit more in control of your challenge the next time. I think it was rare reasonably to be won. You know, if you catch him, it's going to be a yellow card. Just have that conversation because the opposition players will see that and they'll respond to you. It'll bring their temper down if they know that you acknowledge that there was maybe a small foul there or something that you've played advantage on that still needs to be addressing. So a lot of the delaying the whistle or maybe moving someone back from a corner cut, uh, from a, a throw-in is, is as much to indicate to the other team that you recognise something has gone on. You can see that the temperature of the game might be increasing a little bit and you're just kind of trying to control it, uh, you know, bring it back down a notch. But there's variables in the game, there's factors that as referees we don't control and that's the actions of the players. Mm-hmm. And with our best efforts, you know, as, as all the yellow cards could be given out, you could try to kind of calm people down, booking somebody for the sense so they don't get 
do it again or book someone for a, a challenge that you could have let him away with but you can see that the game's getting really really kind of high intense the temperature's getting a little bit more aggressive you're becoming aware that there are a few battles going on around the pitch and you're thinking right I need to calm this down I need to give them the warning shot so that it doesn't escalate you could do all that go through all those motions but that won't stop that player just going through somebody if he wants to do it yep. and you can't stop that you can't jump in your time machine go back five minutes and say to him see in a couple of minutes don't do that you know you're going to get sent mm-hmm. off for it I'd love to do it and the first person that people will point to is refs you, you should have stopped that blah 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 and I get that because they need to blame somebody they're looking for someone to kind of direct that kind of anger to and I'm fine with that being me for that moment but you know when you get the chance to have that conversation you can bring them down most of the time See, when you say that directing anger to me, it's something that's very regular, sent towards the referee and the linesman. Every single game across Scotland, if it's premiership, if it's junior, even kids football, whereas you look at a sport like rugby, it's a lot more respectful. Is that part of the game that we've now accepted as very much an everyday part, or would you as officials want that taken out to some extent? Given the choice, I you you would want it. You don't want anybody swearing in your your face. And you see some of the uh, some of the clips like Wayne Rooney when he was younger in <laughs> his day when he's he's right in referees' faces. Um, I I'd, I'd love to get rid of that, but that that's not within our gift. We, we can't do that. I, I I think the authorities in inverted commas have they've certainly got the uh, control over what we do and that they come up with the, the laws of the game. And up here we are told how we're going to interpret it and how we're going to apply those laws of the game. If Somebody was to turn around and say, right, the minute and sorry, uh, even if you contextually swore at me, if if you swear, we have to send you off. That's going to stop it. But we don't. You, you don't get that guidance or that push from above. Uh, and I think no matter no matter how we we, we address it, um, football is far too far too big. I think to be run and possibly run the way that uh, the way that rugby yeah. is. It's just far too big. I think for football, I'm not hugely clued up on the kind of laws of rugby, you know, but the the spread of fouls and the type of tackles and what's careless and reckless is is so subjective. And I'm not sure that that type of kind of blurred line exists in, in rugby, that the diversity of the laws exists in the same capacity. And I think with football, it's... But because a lot of the decisions that are made in a game of football at any level are down to the opinion of somebody, then those players might have genuinely the opinion that they've been wronged, not just trying to pull one over the referee. And when that is the case, I'm fine that there's an emotional response because whether it's two guys, uh, you know, two teams playing on a Saturday morning or a, a Premier League match, uh, for that 90 minutes, it's the biggest game for those people who are involved. And that guy who doesn't get that penalty, it's a massive thing to him. And I know that there's going to be an emotional response to that. I get that and I'm fine with it as long as it's you know, fairly framed as far as I'm concerned for that match, for the environment that I'm in at that moment in time. And I know that's a tricky one and some people are thinking, well, how do you define that? You can't define that. You know, that's something that only in that moment you know whether what was said, how it was said with the the with the anger it was said with, was it acceptable to you or not? And, you know, that's just something you make a judgment call on in that moment in time. So for me, yeah, you want to make sure that, you know, over-the-top forms of abuse and swearing and in-your-face and aggression and perceived aggressions taken out of the game. But what makes football amazing is that emotional kind of element to it, whether it's the joy of scoring a goal or saving a penalty or, you know, the anger over a referee's decision that you might or might not agree or disagree with. Coming through, you're, you're talking about Celtic Rangers games where it's just a noise. can't hear anything. Um, but at the, the, the lower grounds, by hell, you can hear it. You can hear every word. Um, and I can't remember particularly don't, what don't I know it. game it was I, but <laughs> it, it was coming through the ranks I was promised a slashing 
at, a, yeah. at one of the one of the smaller games. And again, I did a game at Albion Rovers, and I I, I wasn't meant to be on it. It was last minute sub, and it was so last minute. And it's because I, I work in you know in, in Lanarkshire, so I don't know why I had my stuff in my bag, but or my, in the car, but I did. So I, I went to Albion Rovers at the very very last minute, uh, so much so that the the original ref's name get, get read out. So to all intents and purposes, it wasn't me that was that mm-hmm. was refing it. But they, but they know you. And it was at Albion Rovers, it was giving the shouts, you know, Conroy, you're a fucking shite ref, and you're a fucking shite or doctor. Um, <laughs> you, you, you can hear every single, every single word. Yeah. And some of it's funny like that, but some of it really isn't. And when they shout at you that they know where you live, it's, Aye. it's it can be pretty bloody frightening. There's no excuse for it, but the reason that I think it happens is that football was such a big part of a lot of people's lives. They're so emotionally tied into it. There's very few other things in life that you'll have that emotional attachment to, you know, family notwithstanding. But so when you go to a game of football, you're there, you're spending money, you're committing time to it. Whatever club it is you support, you know, you don't get access to your manager or players or very rarely do you get that. So when things maybe aren't going your way, you're not happy. The only person you can really give it to is the linesman or the referee. That doesn't make it right. But there's very few things in life that I can think of, as I say, you know, family aside and things like that, that has the same sort of emotional, you know, roller coaster effect that football has on a proper football fan. Mm-hmm. You know, the type of person who go and sit in that stadium. You know, these aren't passive people. These are people that are so invested, you know, and that emotion comes out in the form of you're a baldy so-and-so or... I, I, I agree. I, I have to say, I, and other than you know, them shouting that they know where you live or being promised a slashing... Thankfully, I'm, I'm no bald. I'm very bandy. So that, that's what I got, uh, yeah. especially when you're on the line. And what are off a duck's packet? So long as I'm just getting called a bandy bastard, then yeah. don't care um, if it doesn't go beyond that. But the, the other stuff is just not acceptable. I would agree. Steve, will referees ever come out and converse with decisions that they've made on the pitch? Uh, it's, it's not in the ref's gift. It's what they're told to do. I don't think at all that uh, ref should ever come out post-match, immediately after match, uh, and talk about decisions. We had, I think it was Graham Spears at one of our monthly meetings who said, you know, and he, obviously he's a journal, said, no, absolutely not. Right after a game, nobody, nobody's interested in education. They just want to slaughter you. So, no, definitely not. But I, I during the week when things have calmed down, no, I, I, and I have done before, I don't mind coming out and explaining why I did something, uh, why, why I did this and it was proved right, why I did that and... Uh, it, it wasn't quite so right as it uh, as I would hoped it would be, but you're directed from from above for for that kind of thing. Disgust uh, and disgust, mm-hmm. but I certainly wouldn't have a problem uh, coming out and discussing it if uh, if I was allowed to, and I, and I have before. Yeah. Um, and you know, on, on the quiet, you you have you have conversations with managers, not so much with with players, but you know that goes on whether people are aware of it uh, or not. Um, I'm not awful sure I'd be keen on doing it on Insta thing or what, uh, Twitter because Insta thing. That's that's all beyond me. Um, but I certainly wouldn't mind coming out and and and, and discussing things. I wouldn't come out, you know, if, if I made a no. Try to think differently. If I come out and and I have done in the past when I've sent somebody off and it, and it was wrong and I was done, I've come out and talked about it. Don't don't mind doing that. But see some of the some of the silly stupid stuff. No, you you don't lower yourself to that. Yeah, but I, I don't mind coming out. No. I think if you could pick your forum to have that discussion, you would. Because the the problem is, is when it goes to the masses, people, are, I keep talking about emotion, but the emotional part of it is what prevents it from being a possible thing to happen. Because, you know, Celica Rangers will play on Saturday and then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday night on various radio phone-ins, there will be fans of all clubs being for blood still based on a decision that might, mm-hmm. or might have happened. Now, whether they're right or wrong, that shows that 
you know, people are holding on to that sentiment for a lot longer than just a few hours after the game. So to then sit down and try to have a rational discussion using logic and understanding the laws to these same people is just not going to work. If you can sit down with a core group of people that are quite prepared to listen to you and maybe understand the kind of train of thought and how you maybe came to a conclusion that they disagreed with, then absolutely I'm all for that. And there's guys at my level in the game, most of them, in fact, after a match, they'll approach me and ask me about certain decisions. And I'll, I'll spend 15, 20 minutes saying, yeah, well, this is what I've seen, my position, I've seen this. And more often than not, they go, well, do you know what, I agree with that, but I, I still disagree. I wonder, but thanks a lot for letting me chat to you about it. And I'm like, no bother. But yeah. I'm more, more than happy to do that. And I'm sure behind closed doors, at, at you know, professional levels, those conversations are probably happening, you know, you know yeah. after the fact, away from the cameras and the microphones and everything else, you know, I'm sure, you know, their conversations are having with referees and managers and other players, this is why and this is, mm-hmm. you know, how it's come now. They might then come out on and slate the referee and moan about the decision and disagree with it still because there's a persona, there's a pers- perception that they need to maintain and that's fine. But, you know, more often than not, when you get the chance to sit down with the, the people you want to, they will listen to you. And the thing that you said there that you, you hit on, you're, you're allowed to disagree. A hundred percent. It's Well, we've uh, disagreed on decisions subjective. that we spoke over the last couple oh, of weeks. Absolutely. It's subjective. It's your opinion. Listen gents, thank you very much and if anybody wants to engage with the guys please do so on InstaThing as Steve would call it (laughs) Twitter and Facebook at Get Involved Referee Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us Pleasure, cheers Take care